All right, we're in uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses together. And, uh, we're going to read from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. We'll read that then and look at it. Okay, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we just would like to thank you, Lord, for this time now as we um, have a look into your word. And we pray that you be honored and th through this and all that we're going to say, Lord. Please give the words and speak to us, Lord. Speak to our hearts. We pray that there would be something for each person here today, Lord. For uh, we know that your word is powerful and speaks to the heart, Lord. We just pray that you will do that today. And we just thank you now for this time and this uh, privilege and opportunity. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, welcome to all those on Christian Coffee Time. You've uh, tuned in, as it were, and uh, make sure you write, get writing the material there, pen and paper, and all that stuff. As Matt does instruct you to do so so often, so and it's good to have that to reference things back and forth. Anyways, we're having a look at this this portion in chapter four. Any any bit of Hebrews, in fact, any bit of the Bible, you could spend a lot of time on. You could probably spend months on a verse. You, know, you can spend some time on any word because we're dealing with God's word. We're dealing with a tremendous, tremendous uh, 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 a gift is what it is to us and a tremendous thing having come from God himself. And we'll look at that later. First of all, our introduction, we see that there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a, um, a glory and a glorious thing that's uh, um, accessible to faith and, um, and in view of those things of faith and such in this portion of scripture given to uh, these Hebrews who are unnamed, these Hebrews so long ago, there was a, um, a, a tremendous disaster, if I use that word, that was about to unfold or seemed to be as the Spirit of God spoke to the people back then and, and said there was some amongst the congregation, we don't know where the congregation was, Personally, I think it was Rome, but that doesn't really matter. Um, and he's speaking to uh, at least two people. It could have been a hundred, could have been, we don't know. We just don't know. But the Spirit of God was so concerned with these ones that had come along for so often and come along and they had understood some things and the Spirit of God had opened the understanding and enlightened their minds and their spirit that they could see and understand the things of God, which is a tremendous thing when you think about it, folks, because the world as it stands, uh, the, the Bible says that the devil has blinded the minds 
of those that believe not, lest the, uh, um, the, the, the gospel of Christ, the light would shine unto them, they'd be saved. Um, in an unsaved state, people can't understand the things that are here, the things of God, the things of Christ, and so on and so forth. They need to have the Holy Spirit to open their understandings and shine the light on them, as it were. And again, we had that uh, example back in Genesis in the first few um, verses of chapter 1. There's a, what we call the principle of salvation. We see the Holy Spirit present. And the Holy Spirit was present and he spoke. Okay, so you have the Spirit of God present and the Word of God being spoken. You have to have those together. You can have the Word of God. I remember um, um, discipling a guy or doing a Bible study with a guy who was a, 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 a pastor of a church that didn't really believe the gospel. He got saved and such. And they uh, had a, a correct Bible and all that stuff and read it often, but it didn't do them any good. Why? Because the Spirit of God wasn't there upon them. It was just unbelief. But when the Spirit of God moves upon an individual and the Word of God is spoken, then the next thing you see in Genesis there, those three things, the, the, the uh, Spirit of God is present, the Word of God is spoken, and then the light entered. And then there was light. Okay? You have that. And that's what happened here. Now, this illumination and this... Uh, uh, Enlightenment is not salvation. Otherwise, if it was, we wouldn't have the book of Hebrews. Because this is written to those who are in danger. He says, you've seen, you've heard, you've tasted of the good word of God, and so on and so forth. But they were in danger of giving up at that point and going back. Um, <clears throat> he tells us that back in the book of Numbers, in chapter 13 and 14 or so, um, the provocation in the wilderness where the children of Israel came up to the promised land and they sent spies in as they were instructed. They brought back a report of the land. They brought back fruit of the land. The people tasted of the fruit of the land. They saw that it was good. They tasted it was good. And then there was the problem of the giants and the sons of Anakim. And um, they said, you know, this is too much. We can't defeat them. Let's get somebody to take us back to Egypt. And that was unbelief, and the Lord got upset with them and said, look, because of your unbelief, you will not enter in. And those people died off in the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and everybody from 20 years old and under um, weren't involved in that. So we see that picture in the Old Testament of, of their unbelief, and uh, that's an explanation of this, and this is an explanation of that, back and forth. But we see that... Uh, um, a disaster is the word I would, would use. For anybody to miss out on salvation is an absolute disaster, an absolute crime, because Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary. He's the Son of God, and He went there and paid the price of the sins for all people. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What does that mean, the whole world? It means the whole world. You know, you get sometimes there's characters will come along and tell you that God just chooses a few. And that's heresy. That's not Bible. It's the whole world. The people out there, the unsaved, we see people driving up and down the highway. We see people um, on a, every day when we go to do things. We see people, most of those people that we meet are unsaved. They're going to hell. 
And we ought to take a cue from that. One of the lessons here for us is to see the heart of God, the Spirit of God, who's trying to reach these ones and had, we don't know who the writer is, to write this letter and take it to them. Uh, a letter from God. Well, the whole Bible's a letter from God, isn't it? And encouraging them to believe in Christ. And so we see the, and he lays out the problems and he lays out the, the resolution to it. And in this portion we're looking at here, uh, we'll start at verse 11 there where we left off last week. And he's going to talk about the word of God and how important it is. And then he's going to take and go to the, to the point of, uh, of focus where we all should be all the time, everyone, and that's Jesus Christ. He's pointing them and drawing them to Jesus Christ, but that's the Spirit of God's job. That's what He does, isn't it? So let's, let's just have a look here at uh, verse 11. Let us, therefore, labor, therefore. Now, read that, and it's, sometimes people have a problem with that right there with us. It, says, it sounds like the believers have to labor. See, you've got to work to gain your salvation, eh? And some of them, they refer back to um, Philippians in chapter 2, where it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, you got to work out your own salvation. See, this works. I like what Willie Mullins said. He said, well, just a minute now. You go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and there and you see, uh, who was it written to? The saints. People already be uh, that were believers. Okay, so Philippians, it wasn't about uh, works for salvation. It was, it was the, the fruit after you're saved. Tend to that. And that's what's going on here too. People get all uh, bent out of shape. Let us therefore labor. Oh, we got to labor to enter in. No, no, no. Who is this written to? you got to take context. Context. It's written to those who are in unbelief. It's interesting that he uses the word us, but he's referring to the potential apostates. Okay? Become one of us. Not of them who go back. Let us labor. And he's drawing them in and saying, be one of us. And that word labor right there, and we think of the word labor as we talked about last week as work and such. It's not work. It means to be diligent. Okay? It means be diligent. And these people were not being diligent. They were ignoring the word of God. They were um, doing despite unto the uh, Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ and stuff if they, if they would go back. He says, let us labor, labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So then he goes in verse 12, and he, he talks about the Word of God. Now, uh, for a, a, a while I wondered, it seems like verse 12 is just kind of out of place. But it isn't. If you, if you look at all what he's talking about and, and the context of the thing, he's trying to convince them. Now he's using the two most important things for uh, convincing people of Believing. That's the word of God. And then he gets and he goes on to talk about Jesus Christ. So he's going to talk about the word of God. At the beginning of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, at, uh, uh, he begins the, uh, the whole epistle with the, uh, I kind of call it the theme, but it's, the theme is Jesus Christ and salvation in him. But where did you hear about Jesus Christ? Where did you hear about your sins? Where did you hear about God? Where did you hear about heaven and hell? Where did you hear this? In the Bible, the Word of God. Chapter 1, verse 1, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, 
hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So we take from that, we see the two major things right there. God has spoken in his Son. God has spoken. There's the Word of God, and there's the Son of God. There's the written Word, there's the living Word of God. And that's what he's using here as the argument after the tremendous warning he's just given about what will happen to these ones when they go back and so on and so forth. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it is quite amazing when we look at the, um, the previous uh, uh, message, the message from last week, we saw that um, he addressed this or he took uh, note of those who were in the wilderness and the problem was there in unbelief. And then he brought it up and mentioned David at David's time. And then he mentioned that this time, this was written... Uh, almost 2,000 years ago. And then even today, you take this, and this is still applicable for today, isn't it? Because it's the Word of God, and it doesn't change. Amazing, amazing thing. So we have the Word of God. He says, for the Word of God is. We can just stop right there. That's quite a message in itself, isn't it? The Word of God is. And we can just look at that. And if you look in your Bible and study out the Word of God, it's called many things, isn't it? It's called milk. And it's called meat. And it's a hammer. It's a seed, a seed that's planted. It's a fire. It's the power of God in Romans 1.16, the power of God unto salvation. It's a sword, the sword of the Spirit. It's that which gives life. God's eternal Word. Remember, He's... Uh, bringing forth kind of like an argument in a, in a, in a, uh, a courtroom kind of thing and bringing out this case and, and bringing this whole thing out, laying it out before them. Here's what you need to do. And he's arguing, and that's not the right word, I know, but he's bringing up the Word of God. I mean, wh where else would you go to hear about God, Jesus Christ? Where else would you hear about that we're all sinners? Where would you hear this? The Word of God, okay? It's God's eternal Word. When we think of God Himself... We can picture in our minds, which is difficult because we have a finite mind, we have to picture an infinite being. But this infinite being speaks, and the words come out and things happen. That's powerful stuff. That's God's Word. That's the Bible we hold in our hands here today. And the Lord Jesus, in dealing with the devil, the, I mean, the devil was trying to tempt the Lord Jesus in the wilderness. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. You've got to have, you got to eat food, yeah? But that's just part of the thing. That's for your body. What about your spirit? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, because every word is important. Every word is powerful. So let's have a look at this for a minute. For the word of God is quick. Now, we think of that word uh, quick and uh, just like the word labor, we think of, okay, work. But that's not what that word means. It means diligent. This word quick here doesn't mean that it's fast. It doesn't mean that at all. That word right there means that it's living. It's the living word of God. There was a, a, a preacher, I remember we were told of years and years ago, I think it was in Toronto, I, I, I forget really. This guy is a street preacher, and uh, oftentimes... I, I don't know if it was often or once he did, but he did this one time, anyway, at least. He took his Bible, he was out on the street, laid it on the sidewalk, took his hat and covered it. 
Then he jumped around and he said, look, folks, it's alive. Under my hat, that thing's alive right there. He's jumping around like this. So a crowd gathers. The guy picks up his hat, puts it on, picks it up, says, this is the Bible, it's the Word of God, and it's alive. And he preached to the people. Eh? But he was right. It's absolutely alive. Hey? Yeah. It's quick. That means it's living. And it's, work, and it's powerful. Where we get our English word energy from is where this word comes from right here. It means active and working. It, it does things. It's living and it, and it does things. It accomplishes that which God has sent it to do. When you think about, uh, I was thinking about uh, all the children that we've had in different children's ministries and things like that over the years. It's kind of interesting. In our early years, we ministered to children. In our later years, we uh, minister to the seniors. Now we don't minister to any of them. What does that mean? <laughs> okay, never mind that. That's a whole other message. Uh, uh, we just think about the, the children in that and uh, all the times that the children have heard Bible verses and memorized Bible verses and the Bible is the Word of God and the Bible verses. We're sowing the seed of the Word of God. And when you hand out a tract to somebody or you talk to somebody about the Lord Jesus, you're planting a seed in their heart, eh? <clears throat> a little seed, the seed of the Word of God, but it's not a little seed in the sense of uh, insignificant. It's this powerful, quick, and active Word of God that's going to bring forth fruit. And I think of, um, again, I reference Willie Mullen, who was one of, my, one of my favorite preachers, a great Irish preacher he was. Um, he talked about the time when uh, this fellow that he knew, or Whatever, uh, you've heard, how many have heard his life story? Listen to that, man, live, right? So I don't have to tell this story. Pretend you never heard it. <laughs> anyway, he was invited to go to this gospel uh, meeting one time, and, and Dr. Tucker was the, uh, <clears throat> uh, the preacher in that. And afterwards, Mullen was very upset with the guy that took him. You know, he didn't take me to that stuff. I don't want to hear that stuff kind of thing. Very, very upset about it. He said, but the preacher did something that night that I have endeavored to do every time I talk to somebody about the, about the Lord and speak to people that the Word of God is to plant the seed of the Word of God in the heart of a sinner. Because what that Dr. Tucker did that night, he doesn't remember the message, he didn't remember the message, but he remembered the title was, What About This Day of Wrath? Years later, I think it was years later, it was a time later, being the character and the bandit that he was and the group that he hung around with, they were going to casing a joint to, uh, to uh, go in and rob it and stuff. And he jumps over the hedge and he says, it was like God came out from behind the clouds in just a moment's notice, just in a moment's time right there. And he said, what about this day of wrath? He said, I didn't hear the words, but it was right there. Boink, there it is. There's God. There's that. What about this day of wrath? That's the seed of the word of God planted in the heart of the sinner. And God will use it at some time. He'll do that. That's how it works. And for us to get the Word of God out there, hand out a tract, we have these ones. I, I like these. John 3.16. Oh, there's two of them. I wonder that's a pretty thick card. John 3.16. Hand them out. That is powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. And if you get somebody reading that and the Spirit of God is, that person's searching, the Spirit of God's there, if they're searching, however that, that works. And then he'll bring some conviction about that, about their sins, about the Savior. But we may just be planting the seed. We may not get the opportunity to lead that person to Christ. Not everybody can do that. That's the end of it. 
that seed, you're planting it in the heart of that sinner, and maybe years and years later, somebody else will water it in that person's life and teach them and show them and be there with them and so on and so forth. Somebody down the road gets all the glory, and that's the wrong way to put it, isn't it? The person that leads them to the Lord, that's not what we mean really, is it? Jesus gets all the glory, but it's a wonderful thing to lead somebody to Christ, isn't it? But somebody else has done an awful lot of work. The Lord has done a lot of work with other people. And way down at the beginning of it, somewhere, the seed of the Word of God was planted. Okay? So just keep handing it out. Keep talking to people about it. Because it's quick. It's living. It's powerful. And it's sharper than any sword. We have a couple swords here. And, and uh, um, I guess Will didn't take them with him or something. And... Uh, one of them is a sharp edge on, the other one's not sharp. And I'll tell you that sh those sharp ones, I don't like to handle them, I don't like to touch them. They just scare me. They are just nasty things, you know. But the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. We have trouble understanding between, what's the difference, so many people would say sometimes, what's the difference between the soul and the spirit? And we'll fumble along and try and give a, 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 an explanation of that. But the Word of God pierces that. It says, piercing even through dividing asunder, or means the division of soul and spirit. People say, and sometimes you hear people say, well, oh, it's just the same thing. Excuse me. It's right there. So the Word of God shows the difference. They're, they're separate. Okay, that's a whole other thing, but... And as a discerner, or it's related to judging, uh, the thoughts and intents of the heart. In the promises and in the warnings of the Word of God, the Bible judges our hearts. It shows us our heart's condition. It diagnoses the condition of the human heart. And if you're writing things down, you can look up Isaiah 55, 11, that refers to uh, these kind of things. It cuts through, it cuts the heart. It's a seed to be planted in the heart of the sinner. The discerner, that word discern right there, um, we get our English word from this word. We get our English word critical from this word. It means discriminating and passing judgment on the thoughts and the feelings. That which relates to judging. So it is important for people to hear the Word of God. The unsaved have to, they don't need to hear about the hockey game and stuff like that. That's not going to save them. They need the Word of God because it's a, that seed will be planted. It's quick, it's powerful, it'll cut right through, it'll cut into the heart. It, it's an amazing thing because it's eternal, because God is eternal. And it's powerful, it's just what God is. It'll do that, do that work. And then he goes on to say, that uh, verse 13 neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do it says with whom we have to do means with whom we have to and must give account nothing hidden from God um, nobody gets away with anything the Bible tells us that we shall give account for every idle word and so on and so forth that's kind of a scary thing but there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But everything God sees and knows everything. Well, of course He does. He wouldn't be God if He didn't. Of course He does. People are going to be answering to Him. Nothing's hidden from God. And we can conceal our innermost being from our neighbors, from those around about us. We can conceal things inside. 
And we don't conceal anything from God. We can even deceive ourselves sometimes into believing things that are true or whatever. But nothing escapes God's scrutiny. In the eyes of whom we must give account, we are at the mercy of God. He sees everything. So he talks about the importance of entering in through belief into this rest, the rest of God that God wants to share with uh, the believers. And it's for everybody. But you must believe in Christ. God became a man, as it were. God was manifest in the flesh, went to the cross of Calvary, was put to death. He shed his blood and was buried in the tomb, rose from the dead the third day. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, which means God the Son, and you'll be saved. With all of your heart, it's not just head knowledge. It's with the heart, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness. He says, in the word of God, don't ignore it. Seeing then, verse 14, seeing then, or you could say therefore, but it's kind of what he's saying. Because of these things here we just looked at, okay, seeing all this then, uh, that we have, you notice the tense there, that we have a present thing. And it was present for them back there, it's present for us here today. Jesus Christ is for us, for the believer. He's there for the sinner. You need to get saved. You need to trust in Christ. You need to repent of your sins, or you will go to hell. You will wait for the judgment, and God will judge you, and you'll go into the leg of fire for all eternity. That's what the Bible says. Jesus Christ came to deliver people from that. The gospel is for everybody. Believe in Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Seeing then that we have a high priest that is passed uh, into the heavens. Did I miss something? I missed something, didn't I? Seeing then, where did we leave off? Oh, seeing then that we have, okay, we're getting down to the great high priest stuff here. Okay. All right. <clears throat> seeing then that we have a, a great high priest, great is when we get our word mega. Give us the idea when people say something's mega, it's huge, okay? There's nothing higher. It's talking about mighty, strong, or high. There's not a high priest. The high means chief, superior. There's none above. When you think about what a, a priest does, a priest offers sacrifices and intercedes on behalf of others. That's what a priest does. The Bible says in Peter that believers are, are, are priests. We offer what sacrifices, not the sacrifices like the Old Testament and such, but maybe the, the sacrifice of praise he talks about. Uh, maybe you have to sacrifice your time or, or whatever, what you want, to help somebody else. <clears throat> I don't know however you want to put that. And we intercede for others in prayer, don't we? Has passed through the heavens. Has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Now there's a declaration of deity right there. So you've got the Word of God got Jesus as a high priest. you got Jesus as the Son of God. you got a declaration of deity. And they were thinking about going back to, to Judaism and such. And people think, well, well I'm just going to walk away. It's too tough, too tough. He says, look it, we've got a great high priest. And we're going to find some things out about him in a minute here. And he says, let us hold fast our profession. Now, three times through these verses that we're looking at is the, is the let us. There's three let us's. Three different ones there. As responsibility or your own duty and such like that. Let us hold fast. 
But uh, let us hold fast uh, means to be strong or to prevail, not to give up. Uh, don't be dismayed, which means to stop. Hold fast our profession. Now let's just talk about profession for a minute. It's not much different from the confession. It's the, um, the confession is the words coming out of your, your, your mouth and such. In Romans 10.10, 10, uh, confession, uh, uh, the mouth of the salvation. When somebody says sometimes, what's your profession? What do you do? What do you do for a living? What's your profession? Uh, what do you work at? Your profession. For the believer, Christ is our profession. And we profess Christ, and we confess Christ, but Jesus Christ is everything to us. And must be everything in every aspect of our lives. The good times, the bad times, everything. Jesus Christ. And your hobby time, and your work time, or whatever it is, Jesus Christ is there. And He should be in it. He should be brought into it. If You know what I mean. That's our profession. This is the way. This is our way. This is the way of a Christian. A Christian Christian itself means Christ-like one. Be like Him in everything, in all that we do. Christ is our profession. He is what we do for a living. He is my living. Everything. We should practice what we preach. Profess Christ as Savior, Lord, uh, King. Let's have a look at verse 15. And I've broken it down into four, four uh, points here. Uh, four things in verse 15 about the Lord Jesus Christ. For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of infirmities. It's kind of, kind of a negative, isn't it? We don't have this. So let's turn around. We do have a high priest who understands about the feelings of our infirmities. So when we look at those words right there, touched with the feeling. See that in your Bible? Touched with the feeling. It's, uh, uh, there's one word given as the Holy Spirit gave it, and we would call the word sympathize. It means to be with the passion, uh, uh, to, 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 not the passion, to, with the pathos, understand the feelings, be with feelings. We do have this high priest who understands, who sympathizes with our weaknesses, with the things that we struggle with. The exalted Christ suffers with the struggling believer, the one who's tempted. In fact, we have in 1 Peter 3.8 and Hebrews 10.34, you have exact same word being used, but it's used, the word is, uh, in those verses, compassion. But compassion is very similar to sympathize, isn't it? It's very similar. Uh, we have compassion because we sympathize. Jesus Christ, you just stop to think about it for a minute. Aren't you glad that he understands that we are just but dust? And we're dumb as a bag of rocks sometimes. You know what I mean? Just do dumb things. In the... But he understands He's been there. He's done this. He understands all about us. God understands everything, but Jesus Christ has, as the second point is, in all points, in all things, in all ways, He's got all experience of this. There's nothing He doesn't understand about what we go through and so on and so forth. Jesus Christ is representative of mankind. On the cross, He was representing mankind. Took mankind's sins upon Himself. The second Adam, there He is. 
And in his life, he experienced fatigue, hunger, disappointment, betrayal, laughter, joy, and even death. Everything. He knows about it. That should be an encouragement for us or for anybody going through a problem right now. Somebody said, you're either in a problem, or you're just coming out of one, or you're just about to go into one. That's supposed to be encouraging, by the way. <laughs> but isn't that what God uses? Doesn't it tell us in the book of Peter that God uses trials to increase our faith? Take away the trials. I don't want this stuff. Well, this is what he uses to increase our faith. I don't like it. But the after, oh, okay, I see. But he understands. He's a representative and at all points. He's been tempted. He understands the problems we go through and the humanity of Jesus Christ. There's some things I wanted to read here about the... Uh, oh, I don't think I'll do that. Oh, maybe I should. And the word tempted. When you think about the Lord Jesus Christ being tempted, but we get into this... Um, we must understand, at the end of verse 15, he says, yet without sin. It's very important to see that. He's tempted. In that word tempted, as I understand it, and as I read it, and I just don't really understand it, I read it in a book. Uh, somebody has given the definition there in the language as it was given, that there can be tempted in a good sense or tempted in a bad sense. Jesus Christ, of course, is tempted in a good sense because without sin, all right, it means to test, to try, to prove. It shows that where the context is that the temptation was the cause of suffering to him and only suffering. Uh, it was not a drawing away to sin. Right? In all the temptations which the Lord Jesus suffered, there was nothing in him that answered to sin. He did not have an old sinful nature like we have. And then at that point we would have to explain or just touch on and we'll just touch on it, the virgin conception and birth. How did this happen? He was, hey, he was just a man. No, he wasn't just a man. You see, because Adam, the first Adam, Jesus Christ called the second Adam, the first Adam sinned. He sinned against God and disbelieved his word and there was the curse came upon mankind. Every person born has the sins of Adam placed on their account. We have a sinful nature of Adam's. We get that right there. Bible tells us, and I think it is it Isaiah, I forget just exactly where it is, but it says that, uh, that God's going to do this new thing whereby a woman would compass a man. Well, compass, it means to go around. Bypass, that there would be a, a woman would bypass a man. In other words, he's talking about the virgin birth. That a man, you see, that line of Adam was broken. Stopped because the Lord Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. There's no sin. That line was stopped. The woman would bypass a man. She's going to have a child, but not by a man. God Almighty, who is life, was the spark of life, and that baby grew in the womb. And that baby was Jesus Christ, the Lord, without sin. The virgin conception and birth bypass man. God was the life spark, hence the line of Adam did not pass to Jesus. So we see... Where am I? I just missed something. <laughs> there we are. 
So we see that uh, where it says at the end of verse 15, yet without sin, there's three things that we need to con uh, con uh, concern ourselves with. Write it down. I was right in the back of my Bible as I refer to it and be reminded of it all the time. I remember one time hearing a preacher, he was a Baptist preacher, and he talked about that Jesus Christ, he thought, and he said, and he taught that he could, Jesus Christ could sin. He said, no, no, he could not. That's heresy. There's three things here, and the Bible talks about Jesus Christ, who is that perfect Lamb of God. And listen to these three things. It talks about uh, there was no thought of sin, there was no works, no action of sin, that he was perfect and unblemished in everything about him. In 1 John 3, 5, it said, In him was no sin. In 1 Peter 2 and 2, it says, He did no sin. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, He knew no sin. Because he's God manifest in the flesh. This is the God-man. God took on a human form that he could be put to death on the cross for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of everybody. So he says, he shows them, he says, look at, there's a warning here. There's a disaster waiting to happen. You people are going to walk away in unbelief, walk away from Jesus Christ. He says, let us labor therefore to enter in. And he talks about the word of God, how powerful it is, how necessary it is, how it is neglected. And they were neglecting it. And he talks about Jesus Christ, the high priest who understands, who's there for us. He talks about our profession, our professing of Christ. And this high priest that can be touched, and he sympathizes and has compassion with everything about us, and yet he's without sin, because this is God we're dealing with. In verse 16, we'll finish up with this, the third, let us, therefore, because of these things we've just mentioned, let us come boldly. Boldly. Can a Christian sin? Uh, yeah. It's not ideal. But it can happen, and it does happen. And it could be that we sin, and we don't even know it sometimes. The Bible says, if any man sin, it says we have a, an advocate Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we can come before God Almighty. Do you ever do something dumb? Do you ever sin? You don't want to answer that. And we can either run away from God and hide like Adam and Eve did in the garden, or come before God. Sometimes, you know, you feel ashamed. Boy, I feel stupid for saying that. I feel stupid for thinking that. And you kind of like this. We can come before God. Lord, I did it. That's how he wants us to come boldly. Lord, look, I got this problem. We can come boldly before him any time. To right to the throne of grace in our prayer. Look what it says, verse 16. Because of all this, because of Christ, because of the word of God, we can come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Because that's what we need. And find grace to help in time of need. We all have times of need. All the time. I got it all the time. It's not a day goes by. It's not a time of need. That hymn, I need thee every hour. If you rewrite that, I need thee every minute. I need thee every second. Because <laughs> we do. We just do. In time of need. Just a thought here before we end up. The seven letters in the book of Revelation written to the seven churches, 
the Laodicean church, the last one he writes to, they didn't have a need, did they? They were modern. They had all kinds of wealth, and they didn't need anything. They didn't understand this, I guess. But I hope you can hear this today and understand this, that we can come boldly to the throne of God, the throne of the eternal the eternal God, boldly, right into His throne, right before Him because of Jesus Christ. Because the veil has been torn, access has been made, there's been an access given right to, to God, right before Him. That mercy and that grace that we need in that time of need. Maybe you've got a time of need right now. Maybe you're going through something, you're in something, you've done something, I don't know. Just take it to the Lord. You go boldly, just because He's your Father. He's your God. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. He's your Master. He loves you. And just, and you just, you've been forgiven because of Christ. He paid for that, whatever it was. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, we have to stop. Our time's gone. That's not the end of the message. Chapter 5 I believe should have started at verse 14 when he starts talking about Jesus, but it doesn't matter. We'll divide the church up and have another split over that. But chapter 5 continues on about the high priest. But if we can't get anything else out of this today, let us remember this. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As long as we're breathing in this life, we have a time of need. Don't you think? Amen. All right, we better stop. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your grace now, Lord. We thank you for your word and these things that you've given to us. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, read it often. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's living, it's active. Help us just to get it out there, Lord. And help us, Lord. And we thank you that we do have this great high priest, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we have you. And you understand and sympathize and have compassion upon us and all the dumb and stupid things that we could do and that we can come boldly to your throne before you to find that mercy and grace that we need. Lord, we just thank you for your love to us. So, Lord, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. Help us, Lord, and we just thank you. Let us go on our way rejoicing. And, Lord, please let it overflow to others around about us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.